Amen. You can all have a seat. Thank you, worship team, and also a special thank to those who are literally behind the scenes. I think Jacob, Matt, and Jason are back there, so well done, guys. All right. Okay, well, we're in the middle of a series in the book of Acts, so if you're new to our church, you can open up to that part of the Bible. We're walking through that this summer, and we're asking the question, how does the Holy Spirit work in people's lives? How did the Holy Spirit work back then, which is the first generation after the resurrection of Jesus, the first churches that were ever started, and how is the Holy Spirit working today? What do we expect Him to do in this place, in our lives, as we share the gospel? Can we expect the same kind of power that they experienced back then? Can we expect that today? And I believe the answer is yes, and that's what we're praying for, that's what we're talking about. We're venturing through Acts, learning about how that power works, how people respond to it. I wanted to call our attention back to something that Pastor Dell said a few weeks ago when we were in Acts chapter 10, and that's the story of when Peter had to change his mind in a pretty dramatic way. Remember, the, he had the vision from heaven, and essentially what he had to make peace with was that the gospel message and the mission he was on was supposed to extend to all kinds of people across the world, not just to the Jews, which is who he was familiar with, and culturally, that's the only group he'd ever hung out with. He had to step back and realize that the work of God was a lot bigger than just his kind of people, okay? And so, when we were walking through that, Pastor Dell made a statement. He said, thank God for the Holy Spirit. That was kind of an interesting thing to say, because the Holy Spirit is God, but what he meant by that was that when we reach a barrier of understanding, when our brains just would not make the right decision, we would not be able to listen, the Holy Spirit helps us break past that barrier. So here you have a grown man with his opinions of the world already shaped and his worldview built deep into him since he was young. That kind of a person can still change and change in a dramatic way later in life. We say, well, it's probably not because Peter was particularly an amazing guy. It's because the Holy Spirit was at work in his life. Right? So one of the things that we'll discover today as we go through Acts 13 is that when the Holy Spirit calls to people, some reject and some receive. And what I'm interested in is why is that? Right? Why could all of us be presented with the gospel, the good news about Jesus? And some people say, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Stop talking. And the next person embraces it and their whole life is transformed by it. Right? Or, or maybe in a conversation about the truth of the Bible, some sort of moral principle, some, some people will lean forward and say, tell me more. And other people will say, I don't even want to be in this discussion. Something different is happening in those two hearts. Right? The truth is the same either way. So we're going to explore that a little bit today, and we'll start in Acts chapter 13, and if you're new for this study, one of the things we're doing is we're reading through the whole text of Acts this summer, uh, so we have a big chunk to read. So if you'd like to pull out the Bible in the bottom of the seat in front of you, it is page 663 that we'll be reading from, or in your own Bible or in your Bible app, you can look at that as well, Acts chapter 13, verse 4, here we go. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There, in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. 
John Mark went with them as their assistant. So the, if the, the narrative so far is that now the seeds of the gospel have been released, like someone blowing a, a ripe dandelion, right? And the seeds are floating all around. There's people spreading the good news everywhere they can. Saul and Barnabas intentionally are visiting new communities to do that. And if you're thinking about this on a map, you know, you start in what today we would call Israel and the cities and places involved, this is all right there around the Mediterranean Sea. So you think about the modern day country of Turkey, Think about the little island of Cyprus, the island of Crete. This is the area we're talking about. So Saul, Barnabas, and a few others start to spread the message. They start to move things forward. Verse 6, afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So just when you think you've seen it all. Here's a Jewish sorcerer that shows up in the story. He, was a, he had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who, had, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamis, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. And one of the things that's fun in the book of Acts is when it says someone was filled with the Holy Spirit and they're about to confront somebody, it, it's, it's usually pretty good, right? You get your popcorn out and you say, wow, here it comes. This isn't just Paul, this is the Holy Spirit giving a message to bar Jesus here, this sorcerer. You son of the devil full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer... And he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord, right? That would be convincing if you saw that happen in front of you. Say, something special is up. I need to pay attention. Well, Paul and his companions, verse 13, then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem, but Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. On the Sabbath, they went into the synagogue for the services. Notice one of the things they're doing as they go town to town, the place they start is in whatever Jewish synagogue is meeting in that town. The mission extends to everybody, all kinds of people, but the people who already had the law of Moses, they already had the prophecies about Jesus, that is a logical place to start, right? You're going to the people that are familiar with some of this and saying, hey, we have good news. Have you heard Jesus is the Messiah that you've been waiting for? So they were following this pattern, and sometimes there was receptivity, sometimes there wasn't. We'll explore why in just a minute. Verse 15, after the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. Okay, so these particular Jews who are meeting in this synagogue, would you say their hearts are open or closed? Well, pretty much wide open, right? I mean, they're, here's... Guests, yeah, you can come and you can share what what encouragement you want to bring. So Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them, and started speaking. 
Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery and he put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And if you know about the Old Testament, that's a great way to succinctly encapsulate pretty much the whole book of Numbers, right? God just putting up with people who were a mess. Okay, but God was patient, thankfully. He was with them. He's also patient with us. And it says that, he destroyed seven nations in Canaan, gave them the land of Israel, gave them to the land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man with whom God said, or about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior to Israel. Now, so, you know, Paul kind of establishes to these people, he knows what he's talking about, he walks through this history, but now he connects a dot that they didn't know necessarily connected. All the prophecies and even the throne and the lineage of David That all locates now in Jesus, who is the Messiah. He's the Savior you've been waiting for. Verse 25, or the end of verse 24. Before he came, uh, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he said, wait, do you think I'm the Messiah? No, I'm not. But he is coming soon, and I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers, you sons of Abraham and you also, also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him. And in doing this, they fulfilled the prophets' words that are read every Sabbath. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. When they had done all that the prophecies said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this good news. This promise was made to our ancestors and God has fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son, today I've become your father. For God had promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessings I promised to David. Another psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your holy one to rot in the grave. This is not a reference to David. For after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried along with his ancestors, his body decayed. No, it was a reference to someone else, someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God, something the law of Moses could never do. Now, let me ask you this, in the middle of this speech, does this sound to your heart like good news or bad news to the people in the room? These are people who'd been striving in a culture that was very much 
the antithesis of anything they believed as Jews. They were striving to stay on track with the law of Moses. They were striving to check the boxes, to stay faithful, to learn the verses, to follow the law. And and to these people, whose only long-term hope was the Messiah, as they start hearing that Jesus himself, maybe they'd heard of Jesus, maybe they didn't know he'd risen from the dead, that there was hope here that the Messiah had arrived, this is amazing news. And, And even more, the forgiveness of their sins and the ability to finally and fully be right with God, that's all now made possible by Jesus. Say, well, that's great news if you have an open heart to listen. For some people, they miss the great news because they didn't want to listen to begin with. That's why he says at the very end of his speech here, verse 40, be careful, don't let the prophet's words apply to you, for they said, look, you mockers, be amazed and die. (laughs) For I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone had told you about it. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. So once again, we're kind of give kudos to this particular group. They have open hearts, right? They're listening. Hey, we want to hear more. We're curious. Keep talking. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. So word spread. People are excited. Now you've got not just the Jews, but you have probably the majority population. Now everybody's showing up to hear what what these travelers are saying here. Paul and Barnabas have good news for everyone. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, It was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews, but since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we'll offer it to the Gentiles. The Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the furthest corners of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad. They thanked the Lord for this message, and all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So the Lord's message spread throughout that region. Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women. I I did a lot of hard thinking this week if I wanted to pause and commentate on that at all. And I decided to just let it go. We're just going to let the Bible speak for itself here. The Jews stirred up the influential religious women. You know who you are. And the leaders of the city. And they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they went to the town of Iconium, or so they shook their, the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and then went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now in this story, it's not exactly a clean ending, right? Because you have some people accepting what Paul and Barnabas came to teach, other people rejecting it out of hand to the point where rather than listening and arguing back, they just wanted them gone, right? Run them out of the city. So it made me start to wonder, why are there so many different responses? Why, why, is, why in one crowd of people who ostensibly have the same or similar life experiences, when they hear the gospel, why do they respond in radically different ways? Some people say, come back next week and keep teaching, we'll follow you. The next person says, we've got to run you out of town and shut you up. What, what's up with all that? So well, let's explore it a little bit. 
Some people listen, some people don't. Some people receive, some people reject. So just as a quick review, we've got a few of these things happening in the narrative we just read. Right? So Bar-Jesus the sorcerer, did he receive the new teaching or did he reject it? Rejected it out of hand before he even heard it. He was already trying to convince the governor not to believe. Okay, how about Sergius Paulus the governor? He was open to receive. He actually was the one who extended an invitation. Come and teach me about this. The Jews at Pisidian Antioch. Well, that's a complicated one because at first they were all on board, or at least the ones that were faithful in the synagogue, but when the wider group got wind of what was going on, when they saw the movement starting, they flipped, and now there's all this resistance. Okay, and then you've got the Gentiles at that same city. They're pretty excited. They're receiving the message. They're listening. And all of this hornet's nest that's stirred up leads us to start zooming in on some of these characters and saying, well, what was the difference in their heart attitude? Why did they listen or not listen? So on the positive side, the people who were receptive, what did they have in common? Well, I think about how that governor, it said, invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him for he wanted to hear the word of God. If you have a heart that's ready to receive truth, you invite a conversation, right? You lean forward and you say, hey, I'd like to learn. Some people are not interested in learning. They never, all they want, they want to talk, but they don't, they don't ask, right? So that would be an indicator of before there's even a message to either accept or reject, they already might be saying, I'm not going to listen before they even know what it's about. Okay, but here this governor, he was inviting discussion. It says, when the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer. He was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. He, he was observing what happened without an agenda or a predetermined point he was trying to prove. So the governor, which it says he was intelligent, which interesting, I think intelligence and open-mindedness generally go together. This governor saw what was going on, assessed it, and then said, okay, I, I'm willing to change my view because of what I'm seeing. So people with a closed attitude, a closed heart, it really doesn't matter what evidence you show them, they're still not going to change their mind. Right? But if you're open, if you're willing to observe things happening and take action based on that, then great, your heart may be ready to receive. And then here's the third thing, asking questions. People with open hearts are curious. So it says the people beg them to speak about these things again the next week. You can almost imagine them saying like, look, that was, I've never heard anything like that before. Please tell me more. Can I, can I walk with you? And it says they followed them. You know, you almost imagine them like, can, can we go to lunch? Can I, can I just wander around with you and ask you questions? I, I want to learn all I can about this. That's an open heart. So the people who are ready to receive, the people who can receive, are the ones who invite the discussion. They observe honestly. They ask the questions. Open conversations require open hearts. So if you ever run into a conversation and you think there's not a lot of openness here, what can you also know for sure? Somebody's heart is closed in this conversation. Maybe everybody's heart, but certainly at least one of the parties is not interested in listening. They're not inviting the discussion, so they're not, they're not really able to hear. So if open conversation is unwelcome, Why? It has to be more than just the data, because sometimes you realize the conversation is not welcome before there is any data, before you even get to start talking. You already realize it's a closed door. So why would somebody's heart be that closed? 
There's got to be something more going on, not just point-by-point rebuttal of whatever it is they believe. Right? So, so think of it this way. You, you could have a person who disagrees with you, but they're doing it out of an open heart. They've interacted with the ideas that you have, and they've said, you know, I don't think I'm on board with that. But th- this is after a conversation, right? That's possible. But what about the stories like we just read where there are people who are trying to shut it down before there's a conversation? Say, well, something's going on in that person's heart or mind that is almost like they're inoculated against even thinking that there could be more to discover. So we go back through the text and kind of look for the clues from the people who rejected the message. People who refuse to listen, people refuse to listen when they have something to lose. So the sorcerer, he interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul had said. Well, why did he do that? Why would the sorcerer have any interest in what the governor believed? Say, oh, because the sorcerer was in close with the governor. The sorcerer, what's the guy's name in Lord of the Rings that I'm sure those of you, somebody's thinking of that out there, worm tongue, whatever. If you miss that reference, just forget it, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, if you, if you the, here's a person who has a lot to lose because his center of influence His power is like that the governor listens to him. So he's worried that the governor might get exposed to information that would turn the governor's heart in a different direction. So he says, governor, you can't listen to these guys. I don't even want you here. I'm urging you, get these guys out of here. Okay, he had more going on. It had nothing to do with the actual message of the gospel. It had to do with this guy's ulterior motive. Okay? People refuse to listen when they feel threatened by potential change. So when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. That's when they got upset. So it was one thing when in the context of the synagogue, we're we're giving speeches to each other and we're curious. But wait a minute, now the whole city's showing up. It looks like there's actually momentum behind what Paul and Barnabas are saying. We don't want that to happen. This could mess up our status quo. This could change the things that are happening around us. And so out of fear of what that change might mean, let's shut it down. Let's stop the conversation. We don't want to go any further. When, uh, when I was a kid, my dad, I've told you this story before, and it, it's, uh, um, I don't know, for me, it, it shaped my thinking about how people come to Christ. My dad was very miraculously converted to Christianity when I was about 11. Uh, prior to that, he had a very traumatic upbringing and then followed by drug addiction and a whole range of problems that defined him, all the way to the point where when he gives his own testimony, he would say he was at the point of wanting to commit suicide but being too afraid to die. That was his status. And then the Holy Spirit broke through. His life was transformed. Praise God for that. That changed my whole family tree. Um, but I remember as a, as a younger kid, my mom would take us to church and we would often pray for my dad to become a Christian. We would pray for somehow, you know, the Holy Spirit to work in his life, to break through. And sometimes different leaders at our church would say that they would be willing to sort of take a shot at talking to my dad. My dad was like talking to a brick wall when it came to matters of faith. So he would literally, he would, would, as soon as he realized where the conversation was going, he would say things like, just stop. I don't want to talk about it. I'm not interested. Or he'd refer them over to my mom. You can go talk to her, but not me. 
There, there was something more. It wasn't just the message itself. There was something else making it to where he couldn't listen. He didn't want to listen. And as soon as he realized that somebody was interacting in that direction, so I remember one of the, one of the assistant pastors of our church one time was, uh, they had a really uh, positive interaction with somebody and, um, and they, said, they said to my mom, like, wow, I'm like, I'm, I'm so excited about this. I feel like I'm recharged, I'm ready. I think I'm gonna talk to your husband now. Now, well, that didn't go well. That, was, that deflated him pretty quick. But uh, he, was, he was resistant. He was, he was hard-hearted. And, I, and, and as he would tell it now, he, was, he did have something to lose. He had his whole lifestyle, his whole worldview. Uh, there was a lot of potential change that he was afraid might tra- take place if he, if he thought about it too much. That leads to the last one. People refuse to listen when they think listening will cost them too much. That's why sometimes you'll be in a conversation with someone and before you finish the sentence of what you're saying, they interrupt you and change the, change the topic because somehow in their brain, the price of actually even hearing the thing you're saying is too high. Say, well, why would that be the case? Why would somebody not even be able to hear another point of view? Why would it be, why would it be that threatening? Well, minds are only closed by fear or by pride, probably by both. So there's something they're afraid of, there's something they're hanging on to, and when truth starts coming in their direction, they have to stop it or else they have to face that truth. And that's why Paul and Barnabas got ran out of town. That's why the sorcerer Bar-Jesus Bar was urging the governor not even to listen, not even to give them a hearing. It wasn't because he said, hey, I've got better ideas than those guys. It's because he was afraid of what the result of sharing new ideas might be. So this has been challenging to me, walking through this, saying, okay, are there areas in my heart where I'm resistant to listening? Listening doesn't necessarily equal agreeing, but listening would show an openness of heart that could lead to agreement. And is that a big threat? If it is, you might have a closed heart. So here's a thought question for you. What might happen if I lean forward and listen? Not just here in church, although you're welcome to do that. But in life, what, what might happen if I lean forward and just listen? Now, if you're starting with fear and pride, the answer to that question is really worrisome. Man, what might happen if I lean forward and listen? I might hear things that make me uncomfortable. I might not like what I discover. I might, I'd rather not know. They might say something I disagree with. But if your heart is bent toward openness and curiosity, you would ask that question and you say, well, what might happen? I might learn something new. I might have a life-changing experience. That there might be something I could discover that I've just never thought of before. There might be value I could gain from the conversation with this other person or this interacting with this other idea. So when you let the fear and pride go and ask this question, you start realizing that on the other side of this question, there are all sorts of possibilities. And as the Holy Spirit works in people's lives, as the gospel goes out throughout the book of Acts and still today, some people close down out of fear or pride. Other people open up with curiosity. 
And when they do, we say, wow, Holy Spirit, thank you for even the grace that if it was, if it was just up to us, we'd all have hard hearts and blind eyes, right? And so if you feel like your heart is soft and open, you say, God, thank you for that. But I don't want to wait, you know, what if my heart hardens up later? Lord, in this moment, when I have ears to hear, I want to listen to what you're saying. This same dynamic played out with Jesus himself, not just his representatives. So you go back to John 1, and the same thing happened when Jesus himself came to the world. It says he came to the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. Some people reject. Some people receive. question is, which camp are you in? On one level, we can say that is the beginning of the Christian journey, is when you're open to receive and you do. When you really listen to the good news about Jesus, and you're convinced in your heart, and you put your faith in him, everything changes about your life, and the Holy Spirit starts guiding you in new directions that never expected to have happened for you. Or you're one of the people who just completely miss it. Even though Jesus is right in front of you, even though the truth is right there, for whatever reason, fear or pride or both, your ears are plugged, your heart is hard, It's not just that you disagree, it's that you won't even listen. So, are you open to learning more? This applies to our introduction, you know, to the beginning of our faith in Jesus. It also applies in other things in life, doesn't it? That as you encounter truth that someone wants to speak into your life, you have a choice of how you'll react to that truth. As people offer you coaching or care, maybe even correction. You have a choice. Reject it or receive it. So are you open to learning more? We just go back to the text and say, well, let's do what we saw that governor do or what we saw those open-hearted synagogue attenders do. Let's invite some conversation. If I'm open, okay, yeah, let's, let's talk. Uh, let's observe honestly what's going on in the world. Honestly look at the results of if people live their lives for Christ, what happens? If people reject Christ and live life for themselves, what happens? Without your own agenda trying to defend anything, just look at the results. Ask some questions. Follow the equivalent of Barnabas and Paul. Find the person that, say, hey, I, I want to ask more about this. I want to learn. I'm curious. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll end up agreeing might mean you don't become a Christian, but at least you've stepped forward and thought about it in an honest way. And I'm afraid a lot of people who aren't Christians, it's not because they've reckoned with the whole thing and actually decided not to be, it's because for whatever crazy reason, they've just actually never heard. So you have the opportunity to hear. I wanted to give you one step you could take. Now obviously there might be people in your own household you could talk to, there are certainly people here in this room that you could speak with. We'd love to talk to you today. If you say, hey, I'm actually one of those people that's kind of curious. I have questions. I haven't crossed the bridge yet, but I, I'd like to know more. Hey, let's talk. Um, I also wanted to give you this opportunity. This is the church's phone number. You can also text it. 
and just say, text that number, say, hey, I'm open to talk, and we'll, we'll connect you with somebody that could just sit down and talk it through. They say, I don't even know if I'm ready for a meeting. I just want to do this on texting. We, we do that too. We want the door to be wide open. The ball's totally in your court. If you, if you say, I would like to know more, go ahead and invite some conversation, invite some discussion, start asking some questions, and see, see what the Holy Spirit might do in your life. Okay, the last verse of our text today, I really like it. Um, verse 50, 52, and the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That could be your story. Paul and Barnabas walked away. They were filled with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit as they kept seeing God at work. The people that became Christians as a result of their ministry, they were filled with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, later in Acts, we'll see that the team, the missionary team, kind of ends up coming back to the same area and starting churches because of the seeds that were planted during this particular interaction. So God used this, even though not everybody responded well, some did, and we'll see how that story continues to unfold in the weeks ahead. All right, here's our question of the summer. Holy Spirit, what do you want to do within us? And then what do you want to do through us? Let's pray. Let's ask God for his wisdom for each of our hearts. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help, first of all, help me to be open-hearted, to not resist. Lord, if there's things I think I already know, I don't want to cling to those so tightly that I can't listen. And I pray for every one of my friends in the room here. Lord, if someone has been resisting a conversation, would you soften their heart? If there's a next step that someone needs to take, would you give them the courage to take it, the curiosity to take it? Lord, if there's things you want to do in our lives to change us, to set us on a new path, we want to be open to that. For some of us, that could be taking our first step of faith and just embracing the truth about who you are, that you are the Savior and Messiah and that there is forgiveness of sins and new life. So Lord, if someone needs to make that first step today, I pray that they would have the heart, the open heart to do it. And then for any of us, when we find ourselves resisting the truth or resisting even a conversation about the truth, would you help us to see what's really going on? Help us to be honest. We look forward to living lives filled with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit, whatever that will look like for us. Just pray that we would be ready to take whatever step that needs to be, including a few in here who probably do need to text that number or strike up a conversation even before they leave today. Thank you, Lord, for giving us so much grace and that even though Sometimes we're boneheaded and hard-hearted. You still love us. You still reach out to us. You give us opportunity to walk with you. So we look forward to what we can learn next as we keep reading Acts together. We commit this week, this day to you. In Jesus' name we pray.
All right, God bless you. We will see you next week. Yeah.